You're listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. So today we have with us Zane and Omar Sabri, uh, the founders of Mason and, and Despree, premium leather goods uh, brand. So welcome to the show, guys. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having us. So thanks uh, so much for joining us, joining us today and uh, share, sharing your story. Um, so tell us a little bit about sort of what do you guys do when you're not spending all your time working on your startup? Work on the startup. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we, we have, I guess, pretty limited spare time this day, just like a pretty young brand. We um, are trying to invest as much as we can to continue its growth. And because we're so far stretched in terms of like our placements, internationally and stuff like that we kind of have to be on the pulse all the time yeah okay but i guess zane and i have different interests like in the weekend do love the outdoors because we both grew up in new zealand as well so wherever there's like an opportunity to hike or be on the water or, or whatever you'll find me there what, what, what would you say catching up with friends going to restaurants going to a few bars and just kind of having a relaxing weekend or i'm um, kind of fortunate enough to be on the gold coast where there isn't too much traffic and everything's kind of easy peasy so we just take it as it comes on the weekends and i'm trying to stress ourselves that uh, too much yeah nice nice and how how many hours a a day are you working it can stretch from uh, as early as 5 a.m and as late as 11 or midnight yeah right that's uh full on (laughs) yeah Yeah, but that's uh, that's the startup life yeah excellent and so how did how did the business get started and and do do you want to just describe um the business uh, for for our listeners yeah, so um, we started uh, Maison de Sabri back in 2017. Um, so mid-2017, we started it back up. And it came from um, like an inherent need for us to, to find a way to pay Zane's university fees. So just going back a little bit behind, like our background is um, in healthcare. Okay. So uh, we're both dentists by profession. And so we, I, at the time when we started, I was graduated and a full-fledged working dentist. Zane was in his third year of university mm-hmm. and we were in two different countries. So I was still based out of New Zealand and um, Zane was here on the Gold Coast studying at Griffith University. So in his third year, we had some unfortunate family circumstances where our um, father became incredibly ill, got diagnosed with cancer and we had, or well, we were faced with an ultimatum, which was, you know, find a way to fund Zane's tuition or we're pulling him out of university. So three years deep, we really didn't want him to kind of, you know, put everything to the wayside and we really needed to find a way to try and um, keep him in there and, and, and make it work. We always kind of had an inkling towards business. We always wanted to do something in business. And as we kind of learned more about the opportunities online and opportunities with e-commerce, we, started to put our heads together and, and um, try and create something that we were both incredibly passionate about. Yeah, cool. Awesome. And like, so how did you come up with the idea and like, how did you go about sourcing product? So we thought really hard about what we wanted to do. And I guess the main thing for us was like to try and find something that we were, we were passionate about, right? We didn't, you know, even though we needed the money, we didn't want to do something for money because you never... That's not a that's not a, a long game, you know, and, and your passion um, dies pretty quickly if you've got the wrong intent. So one thing, 
or one type of product that we really loved was leather goods. And one other thing that we also loved was like attention to detail. And so dentistry is all about attention to detail. You know, like when we work, we're using a microscope, we're working on like some of the smallest, I guess, organs you could call them in the mouth and the body. And so we kind of had this refined sense for it. The reason why leather goods kind of stood out to us was because at the time we kind of felt there wasn't really anything that was ticking our boxes in terms of um, the finer details. So there was a lot of great products out there, um, but none that really focused on providing, I guess, like an all-rounded product at a reasonable um, sort of price. Um, Obviously, we've got like the Italian and French fashion houses, which are like up in the thousands of dollars um, for products, but there wasn't really anything sort of premium or, um, or material that had a really refined finish to it. Yeah, okay. And that's where we thought, you know, we could uh, add a little bit of flavor to that segment. Yeah, awesome. And then in, and in sourcing the products, did you have to go overseas and, and get that? And Yeah, so initially we wanted to start off with a whole range of products, so a whole range of pocket accessories from bags to clutches to wallets to phone cases. That proved to be quite difficult when we initially got the samples from overseas. Nothing was really up to scratch and nothing was really how we envisioned it. So we kind of just went back to this drawing board and we're like, well, why don't we just start with one product and like really, really perfect that product to the T and launch that as the entry product into the leather goods space. And so our strategic approach was launching with the phone case. And a phone case for us was like, I think a, a, a good move into the leather goods space because for a couple of reasons. One, people have an emotional connection to their phone, so that phone case is pretty much always going to be in their hands. Two, it's like the first thing they reach for in the morning. Three, when you're out for dinner and you're out seeing friends, it's like you're going you're gonna to place that phone case face down. And then from there, that's just going to go ahead and just start snowballing and it's going to start creating word of mouth and start creating hype. And I think that was a really strategic approach for us to get into that space because it, uh, it really paid dividends uh, for the brand and really allowed us to kind of accelerate our growth and in the get-go and in the very early stages of the company's growth stage. Yeah, okay, okay. And, and how long did that take for you to get, sort of find that product and then get it to a point where you were out there in the market and selling it and getting to that first customer? Interestingly enough, it took one full year. Yeah, okay. So sourcing the product, going through sampling phases, testing it, making sure it's, it's, it's what we envisioned, what we wanted. And then from that and launching the website, it took a full 12 months. Sounds like you guys have done it right. I mean, it's, it's so yeah. easy to fall into the trap of jumping on Alibaba and, you know, uh, getting stars yeah. in your eyes. I'm sure you've seen plenty of those come and go and selling on eBay, etc. Yeah, well, the main thing that like, we always kept in mind is like once you launch, there's no going back. So like if you launch with like a really horrible product and bad business plan and brand and all that stuff, like people aren't just going to forget that. So that's why we were like, okay, like if we do this, we've got to do it 100% right. And the other thing is like, I guess there was a little bit of pride in it as well. Like we want to be able to be proud of the work um, that we're doing and, and show our friends and stuff without like being embarrassed about it. And I guess, the, you know, you're building a brand and it's literally, it's got your name on it, right? So uh, yeah, even, yeah, even. exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. So as I understand it, you guys have bootstrapped the business today. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so com- today it's still bootstrapped. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, that's very, very similar to businesses in the 90s and, and thousands, you know, like <laughs> in e-commerce, but not not so common today, right? Like there's a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses yeah. that have raised huge amounts of money. So tell us a bit about that decision. Um, and is that something that you're looking to continue? Mm-hmm. Are you sort of reinvesting or are you looking to raise capital? 
Yeah. Um, I guess one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons why we didn't, we didn't want to source capital is because we, we became profitable quite quickly. So after, I guess, I think after the fourth month, we were seeing profits. And so we have a, we have a phrase that we use internally and we say that we're recyclers. And the reason we say that is because we recycle cash in the nice. sense that whatever money we make through the business just gets reinvested directly back into the business. And we, and, and you know, that's been a really, really solid strategy for us. So whatever we make, we're investing in either in like research and development, marketing, expansion, new product development, all that stuff. And admittedly, while product development has been slower than, I, than um, you know, what other brands uh, would be doing, the reason behind that is because you know, we've, we've opted to design everything from the ground up and source everything really, really meticulously. So in terms of the general time frame of things, that works incredibly well for us. And we haven't really felt the need just yet for us to, to you know, get some external funding and, and get some external partners. Excellent. I think the other, the other part of it was we work really well together as well. And we're just, I guess we're just a little bit unsure of how that external partner might fit in um, yeah, and how that dynamic would roll out having a third or fourth person in that picture. Yeah, smart move. I mean, if you don't need external capital, why, why tap into it? And um, if you're making profits, you know, why not reinvest them? Um, you know, you're building a, a great asset there. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah. importantly, did you end up finishing university? Yeah, so I graduated <laughs> uh, at the end of 2018. And funnily enough, the moment I finished my, my last exam, I think I remember it was like 2 p.m. or 2.15 p.m. We had a meeting at the office at 2.45 and... Just jumped in the car, finished my last exam, went straight to work. And then it's literally been nonstop ever since. But, you know, like, I love it. Like, I've, I've loved this. It's, it's a lifestyle for us. You know, like, being an entrepreneur is a lifestyle. It's not work for us. Yeah, awesome. So you're, you're our first sibling co-founders on Founders On Air. Maybe we should call this episode Brothers On Air. Um, oh, I love that. <laughs> so um, what's it like working with your brother? Who wants to go first? <laughs> yeah, I'll start. It's it's good, you know. Like uh, we keep everything the family because we're we're brothers and we've grown up together our entire lives. It's like we know what we're thinking like all the time, every single time, and like we just move together like a Swiss watch. Like we bounce ideas off each other. We can look at each other and know what each other's thinking. Like even though we're two very different people, our vision's very much the same. We can we can we can see things eye to eye, and I think that's a very special uh, bond to have with a business partner. And I think any disputes or uh, any teething issues we may have together are resolved really, really quickly. And that's what kind of sets us apart and really allows us to be quite dynamic together and be a good combo. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I, I guess everything does just flow um, really, really well. And then the other thing is just like, we just have a lot, I guess, a lot of mutual respect for one another. And I think that's really important when you do have, I guess, a family owned business because um you know if you're kind of disrespecting each other in front of staff and stuff it, it's a pretty ugly look but we get each other really well we know what our roles are in the company as well and you know we um we actually define those from day one so that we're not crossing over and doing each other's jobs and that's just that's just worked out for us incredibly well so, so it sounds pretty perfect how, how do you manage disagreements <laughs> when we do have them like i guess it's uh, like realistically the way we deal with it is we'll just step outside <laughs> just, um, take it outside give each other a bash. no i'm kidding but um we'll um we'll just go outside and sort of just get a breath of fresh air and and kind of talk Shut about it. it yeah like we 
I guess we'd you'd say we're pretty civil in the way we'd um the way we deal with stuff. We're pretty boring. Like there's nothing um that's gonna make Overly it on dramatic. Yeah, nothing that's gonna make it on e true Hollywood story or anything like that or, or, or world star. Like yeah, we'll just talk <laughs> it out. And then we always do like a pros and cons thing to ideas that we disagree about and just sort of suss out like what's actually gonna give the most benefit. Um, most value for the company yeah for the company like in the long term and i think when you put the company like first rather than your your opinion or your pride yeah then then it works out a little bit better yeah it makes sense and did you set up a shareholders agreement between the both parties (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah luckily no one screwed anyone over (laughs) (laughs) yeah awesome um and and so like going back to like the early days of when you started like how did you get that first order yeah, it was, it was it was cool, man. So like when we started, it was like July 2017. 2017 yeah. So actually, like when we had when we had the idea originally, we right away we went and created like a an Instagram account for the brand. Um, so once we had the brand name sorted, we didn't have any product or anything like that. We went and created an Instagram account and just started started kind of posting like it was almost like a mood board account of things that inspired us and things we thought like our ideal customer would be like and be into as well. So over that year when we were kind of, you know, having difficulties with sourcing and building websites and all that stuff, we were posting like religiously every single day and growing our following. And um, so by the time we did launch and kind of go, hey, by the way, we're like this cool new brand based in Australia. I think we had like 10 or 12,000 followers Mm -hmm. on the account. And so we had sales like pretty much as soon as the website went live. We had five sales on the first day. Yeah, first day, was like yeah. massive, wow. massive for us. Wow. Yeah, awesome. we were just like, holy shit. Oh, sorry. But um, <laughs> you know, like, like, wow, you know, like people are, have, have actually been following our journey and they're really into what we were doing. I remember we had like a whole heap of incredibly, incredibly dedicated followers on Instagram. Like the moment someone would come out, they'd purchase it right away. They'd DM us like, oh my God, you know, we've, we've loved watching your journey. I remember like there was one, that we were really close with, eh? I can't remember her name now, but just such an amazing person. Um, and, you know, she followed the entire journey. She started sharing her journey with us. And I think her daughter had, like, cancer at that stage or something. So because we built a bond, we sent her this, like, massive bouquet of flowers <laughs> to surprise her daughter. And it was just amazing, man, just having that, like, that um, community engagement from, like, day one was 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 so great. And that's um, kind of what we've built the brand on ever since. So is, is social, um, is that a big is, is, is this really a social play? Is this a social media play? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, com- the company is still very social media driven and we, we focus a lot of the company's resources and a lot of our marketing budget towards social. And that's purely because that's where the attention is, right? Like the attention is on your phone. There's a massive attention shift that's, that's moved from like radio and television. That's all moved to social media. So as I'm not a marketer myself, but as a, as a marketer would say, you know, like you want to have your ads, you want to have your placements where people are spending the most time and that's on your phone. And so that's why we've chosen to spend um, a lot of the marketing budget towards Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, cool. Makes sense. And like, so like how long was it where did you realize how you've really got something or was it on that first day when you got that first five orders or is it like a month few months in that you really realize you're building something uh, like we realize we're, we're kind of on something or like we, we are successful in our own right is that what you mean yeah exactly you know personally i think like success is always a moving target it's like you have these visions and goals and you get there and you crush them and then it's like okay what's next right 
Therefore, like, you know, I feel no real entrepreneur ever feels successful. I think a smart entrepreneur for the sake of, of their happiness and, and perhaps even mental well-being will find a way to kind of balance that and that never-ending hunger for desire and more growth. I suppose like the sense of satisfaction that's been gained as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, to kind of like, you know, to feel proud. And I think from a, from our own business experience and point of view, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? Like from our initial investment of um, the 45 grand that we put into to start the company, we wanted to start hitting like revenue of 100 grand a month. And then we'd get to 100 grand. It's like, okay, sweet. Like what's next? We'd hit 250. Then we'd hit 500 grand a month. Now we're hitting over a million dollars a month. And it's like, well, what's next? Like success for us is just always a moving target. It's never stable. Yeah, so cool. I think it's finding that that fine balance between the two. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And from a social media point of view, like, is it being Instagram has been the, the biggest thing for you guys, or is it how does that sort of mix work between sort of the other platforms? This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace. To find a convenient parking space near your home or office, I guess in terms of like the, the way social media has changed over the last few years, like Facebook kind of died off. Instagram had this massive come up. Um, Snapchat sort of died off as well um, and now we've got like TikTok so again like that's one of those things that are like that is always changing it's just about like investing your resources onto the, the platforms that are that are really paying dividends for you for us personally um, you know Instagram's been a great driver and it's because we have like a highly visual product yeah and highly visual brands like we feel that I guess well I guess there, there's a difference between like having a brand and having a company like a brand is, is like a lifestyle it's a movement whereas a company is a little bit a little bit different. You just you're just offloading a product, and and that's sort of a, it's a transaction. So to build a brand and to build a, a lifestyle like a visual medium like Instagram has just been like really instrumental for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And TikTok, like, how much are you using that at this stage? Where we've actually just started using TikTok. We're we're uh, trying to kind of um, jump onto that as soon as possible. We posted a few videos, not a ton, but we definitely think it's going to be the new wave of social media. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, and that's just purely because of the content and display the straight video. And as, as humans, we're, we're highly, we love this highly visual mediums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think TikTok's going to be the next phase. Right now, I think it's not a platform to make revenue or acquire customers from purely because I think there are two types of audiences on TikTok. Number one is like very young, uh, a very young demographic of like 15, 16, 17 year olds. And number two, it's like people from Instagram that try to become influencers and they couldn't are moving on to TikTok because like I suppose now is their time to kind of try and, and reach that community they wanted to reach. Yeah, okay. So it's I think it's still an immature audience, but I think if you give it a year or two, it'll really start to um to ramp up and and, and do everyone a bit of favor. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, influencers, are you using influencers a lot for you? Yes, yeah, so we have we have a relatively global influencer strategy that we that we implement. We used to be very heavy on it in Australia and then we've kind of shifted as the times have sort of changed yeah so we do a lot the states and into Japan as well yeah right and and we find yeah they, we find they're a great brand awareness tool in some markets they are a very very strong conversion tool as well yeah okay and and how do you go about finding those influencers are you using any platforms to do that or are you just uh, going directly to them we have a very very talented team of beautiful individuals that work with us <laughs> that eat sleep and breathe Instagram so we're very fortunate to have them because um, you know they're able to source all the right uh, influences and talent that we work with yeah okay okay and like cost wise like how much do you have to spend to, to use an influencer 
it all really depends on, uh, I think, the alignment. If there are a good alignment to the brand, the amount of engagement they get and their reach and their impressions. So there's no real fixed price. It all comes down to how good you are at negotiating. But it can really range from 50 bucks to $20,000 or even and, and upwards of there. Yeah, right. So you guys ship globally today to 131 countries, I believe. Correct. Um, did you have a global from day one mentality or did you start to shipping locally and then sort of did that develop? How, how did how did the global approach come about? Yeah, we've, we've been pretty fortunate in the sense that we've had like organic global demand. So a lot of the stuff that we see today comes from comes from like an organic demand. So when we initially launched, it was like a, you know, a, an Australian brand that only ships in Australia. And then we started seeing like all these international customers purchasing from that website and shipping, you know, into the States, into Europe, to the Middle East. Like, I think I remember within like the first, oh, our first Christmas, actually, we had an order from like the Omani royal family and they ordered like 20 20 cases of us or something and it was just insane we were like what the hell is going on like there's all these big international um customers that were um starting to purchase from us so january 2018 we launched our international uh store like our um, international web store and then started pushing heavily into international markets then we sort of found again that 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 just started to spiral and we started putting some nice um, advertising budgets behind it as well. Same thing happened with like Japan now is one of our largest markets. And again, that was just like an organic, organic market that happened for us. You know, we, I think I came back from a trip to Japan. I went, I used to, in dentistry, I used to lecture a lot as well. And um, I actually worked for a Japanese company and they'd fly me out to Tokyo like once a year to go see the R&D center and stuff. So on that last trip, when I came back, I was like, man, we'd be a perfect fit for the Japanese consumer. I wonder what the data looks like. And so we did an export of our of our customer list and who's been purchasing from what. And we saw that our Japanese customers had one of the highest conversion rates globally. And so we set up, you know, within, a, a I think, a matter of three months, we set up a totally localized Japanese entity and just been pumping it ever since. That's amazing. So sort of six months in after that organic global growth, if you like, um, and, and selling to the Amani family. What a buzz. Um, <laughs> you open your international store and now sort of going into Japan, specifically in the US. So with Japan, for example, what are some of the challenges, you know, selling into that market? You know, you hear things about, you know, my brother lives there and, you know, they've yeah. the most beautiful fruit. It's perfect. There's not one blemish, you know, it's beautifully packaged, yeah. but it costs $10 for one piece of fruit. Have That's you had insane. similar experiences? I mean, do you have to package, you know, your products to the nth degree to, to ship to yeah. Japan? I think so. One thing that we're fortunate with is the 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 product was kind of like a a, a great market fit to start with. So when we started the brand, um, there was a couple of key things that we really really focused on and spent a lot of time, and hence why we had that one year sort of development phase. And one of the key things we focused on from day one was packaging and ensuring that every time you ordered a pro- or received a product from us, you had this insane, amazing. Instagrammable, shareable, unboxing um, experience. Yeah, unboxing experience. So, the, uh, you know, the packaging has always been um, sort of top tier. And then the product obviously follows that um, as well. And, and to be frank, we have really haven't changed anything um, for any of our markets um, internationally. Japan, as you say, they are very quality conscious. And so are we as a brand, you know, like our products go through, I don't know how many rounds of quality control. Even when they're, you know, before they're going out the door, we're doing like a final check and final inspection, not the smallest flaw 
will be accepted. And it's great that we've got a team that is so passionate about that. And, and you know, they're able to stop stuff before it leaves the door if it does have any faults in it or anything. One of the key things with Japanese market specifically is, is just being really really, really clear and concise in your communication and ensuring that you're staying true to what you're offering. So if I'm if I'm advertising that my shipping is going to be or my product's going to be shipped to your doorstep in five days, if it's not there in five days, and that's a really big no, no, if I'm stating like the products are this quality and that and it doesn't, then you know, that's that's really, really frowned upon and losing face. Um, in Japan can happen almost overnight. I was reading a report about like the American car industry in Japan. And, you know, back when they started exporting American cars into the state, uh, into Japan, the initial response was, oh, they're these big gas guzzling, really inefficient, really poorly designed cars. And unfortunately, that still hasn't changed to this day. Like that's still the, um, the you know, the general opinion towards American vehicles. So we are incredibly careful in what we do in that market. We want to make sure that we're, you know, surpassing our customers' expectations there. And it's also why, you know, we've got a really big internal team that's that's all Japanese um, that specifically deals with that market. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like your your product is ready for the Japanese market, was already ready for the Japanese market. So well done. I think if you can crack that market, you can pretty much crack any in terms of that quality piece. So that's a, that's a huge testament. Um, so just shifting gears for a moment. Uh-huh. What have been some of the unexpected surprises along your journey so far? You know, there there is there's a ton of unexpected journeys, and yeah. I think as you as you run a company and as you run um, any type of business or anything in life, it's there's going to be issues left, right, and center. So I think in business, you just have to be good at problem solving and problem solving really, really quickly to move on to the next <laughs> yeah. thing. I think like um, I remember our first Black Friday. That was when everything just hit the fan. Eh? Like we had all the stuff scheduled to go live at midnight and, you know, all the offers to go live and stuff like that. And everything just crashed at midnight. And, you know, we were so excited for our first Black Friday sale that, you know, we stayed up to make sure it all went smoothly and stuff. And then we just freaked out like crazy um, when it didn't. Our devs at that time were fast asleep as well. So we had to YouTube, Google, like, jump on every single forum to try and find out the solution by ourselves and, um, and implement it. Um, unfortunately, I think we only had like an hour of downtime when the sales started and we were able to, to um, solve it. Pretty quickly. Solve it yeah. yeah. But um, I was, think that, was that just was because of the, the amount of volume that was coming through at that time? It was volume, but it was also, we were using like a, a third party app to do some, to, to, to shift stuff around. Like, like that was timed for the sale. Uh, okay. And so okay. that, I think that, that app, as well had like an internal flaw in it that nobody sort of saw and that yeah it sort of had these like site-wide issues that it caused for us yeah okay yeah and and so did you you guys end up building your own platform or did you end up using something like shopify or yeah so we're like we're on shopify plus but now everything on our website is all like built in-house so we don't use like any apps for anything or any themes or templates yeah it's all custom so yeah, we kind of we kind of learned not to trust anyone <laughs> and just kind of do everything ourselves and i think because our standards were a bit unrealistic at times in terms of like the functionality we wanted and stuff yeah okay. so we just ended up building everything ourselves and and um kept ourselves happy i guess yeah yeah so we had to go ahead and, and find developers and engineers to kind of put it all together for us and make it look good and functional at the same time so it was definitely a process but uh, a process worth investing in 
Yeah. Okay. So you're still using Shopify Plus as your underlying platform, and then plug correct. Everything. Yeah, okay. we use Shopify Plus, and um, I think it's a it's a pretty decent platform to use, only because there's peace of mind knowing whatever traffic comes to the site, you know, it's not going to crash. And th- there's times where we get a ton of traffic, and we can kind of just sleep at night knowing that it's all going to be okay <laughs> the, the the morning we wake up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And w- when you're shipping your products, are you shipping it so it's all, everything's coming out of Australia, or if you've got different sort of warehouses across the world? Yeah, everything's everything's out of Australia, so we just have we just have like our one um, warehouse um, that we ship everything out of. And again, it's just mainly for quality control. Again, being super paranoid, we just want to make sure everything's like perfect before it leaves. Yeah, cool. And and how fast are you getting it into customers' hands, like across the world? In yeah. Japan, if we were to send it today, it would get there in two days. If we were to send something to LA today from the Gold Coast, Australia, we'll get there tonight. Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's good, and that's I think that's the future of e-commerce and how that's how everything's panning out. Like I think a lot of service providers are realizing customers want things faster, better, and more accessible. So I think everyone's doing their part to make and making sure that that transition from offline brick and mortar to online is, is like a, a seamless uh, a transition and transaction. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. And so switching to thinking about so your marketing that you've done. Like, has there been anything else that you've done that you thought has made like a big difference to, to your growth? You know, I get this question asked a lot. I think the number one thing that we do well and, and do consistently is just having a very strong vision to the point where we know that nobody can put a ceiling over our goals. And then secondary to that is obviously like our marketing strategy and, and, and generalized execution. But I think without a vision and without confidence and without passion to drive all of that, and you had some like secret sauce, then you wouldn't do as well. So I think vision and and confidence is, is a very very big player in, in achieving success in any type of form. I I wholeheartedly agree about having a big vision. So tell us what is the big vision for uh, Mason de Sabri, and what's the future look like for you guys? Yeah. So I mean, ultimately, um, we have an extremely grand um, vision. So you know, our aim is to be like one of the biggest personalized leather retailers in the world. And that's by 2024. Yeah. So we, what we, what we really want to do is like, we want to be that, I guess that brand that, mm, how, how should I word this? Yeah. I guess like the, like the ultimate vision for us, obviously. Yeah. Let's, we, we want to be the biggest brand in our space. We want to be the biggest player. One of the founding values that we had was we really wanted to do this thing where we wanted to provide like the gold standard customer experience as well. And um, when we first started, we, we really wanted to try and define that and um, identify what it was about like people's favorite stores that they love revisiting and going back to. And that's something that we're still like on a mission to, um, to refine. Um, but that is one of our goals as well as to we want to we be the world's best product. And um, we also want to um, provide the world's best service um, as well and make sure that you know, we've got consistently high repeat purchase rates and consistently returning customers. I think, I think product is only a, a very small part of building a brand. It's about how you're staying relevant to those customers as well and how you're treating them and how you're getting them to come back as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Zane and Omar, for coming on Founders On Air. We're going to call this episode Brothers On Air. So uh, <laughs> for that little tagline for today, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So, awesome, yeah. guys. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for sharing all those fantastic insights and well done on what you've built in a very short space of time, two and a half years to more than a million dollars a month. That's incredible. Fully very, boots, very bootstrapped and on the Gold Coast. So uh, I hope yeah, you come down and visit. If you're might, in town. might bring my surfboard. 
All right. <laughs> Please do. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. You've been listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum, a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.